Before I share this story, I just want to say this is not from personal experience, okay? <laughs> a husband was trying to explain to his wife the amount of state taxes they pay, and he wasn't getting through to her, so he asked her if she understood percentages. She quickly said, I do in a completely different way. While I may not understand what you understand, I do know what 25% off means. It means it's a good deal. And she continued, and if it's 50% off, it's free. The husband was confused, so his wife explained that if it's 50% off, it's the same thing as buying one and getting the other one free. 50% off. So it's free. Then she added, and if it's 75% off, well, you're actually making money after that. That's pretty uh, dizzying intellect right there, reasoning. Can't quite follow it. Well, today, we want to take a look at the price tag of following Christ. If you're already a believer, it will remind you of what the expectation is. If you are considering becoming a believer, becoming a follower of Christ, then you'll learn what the expected cost is of following him. And for the church to be united as one, we each will be called upon to sacrifice and pay the price. There is a sacrifice. And part of the problem is that we tend to view the church as a place that provides something to us and Christianity as a product we obtain. There's this tendency to dwell on the benefits and gloss over the responsibilities. We're excited about salvation, but not as pumped up about sacrifice. <laughs> give, give me the good days, Lord, but those thorns on that rose, ah, uh, you know what? I'd rather avoid those, those situations. And Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are, uh, there are uh, sacrifices associated with being a Christian. And the Bible clearly, clearly points out that if you follow Christ, you will be ridiculed. You will be despised. Just take a look at Matthew chapter 5 uh, of the uh, Beatitudes and one of them being blessed for you know, being persecuted. We need to expect that. You may recall the old joke about a chicken and a pig who were discussing the farmer's breakfast of bacon and eggs. <laughs> the chicken was all in to contribute to the breakfast, but the pig objected because the chicken was giving a contribution while he had to sacrifice completely. I think God, I think God is calling us to sacrifice completely like a pig rather than contribute like a chicken. And I'll let that statement settle in with you for a little bit. But Sacrifice doesn't seem like the most exciting topic. <laughs> hey, come to the church and hear about sacrifice. <laughs> You're going to sacrifice yourself for God. How do you feel about that one? And actually, for most of us, we would try to avoid sacrifice at any cost because it's painful. It's painful. It's difficult. And it could be pretty frightening for us as well. But the Bible talks about sacrifice as a lifestyle more than an event. It's an ongoing thing in our lives that we just continue to do. It's an expectation more than a, a one-time occurrence. So without sacrifice, the body of Christ can never truly 
move toward oneness. In the days ahead for our church body, our church family, you'll be called upon to sacrifice your time, your comfort, your normalcy, your your energy, as we look to reach our community for Christ. There's been some wonderful ideas developed from the missions committee. We're going to be presenting those to the council and, and then moving forward with some things. And you're going to be part of that on board because you're part of the family here at Happy Valley. And those who are online expect as well, too, the opportunities to be able to sacrifice and serve because that's what we need to do in order to reach our community. So we're making some plans, getting some things ready. And as we continue on with, uh, with our uh, series on one, one hope, one truth, one way, we're going to look at uh, the book of Philippians today. And, uh, it, of course, the New Testament. And if you turn there, in chapter 1, you'll recall that Paul writes this letter from a prison cell. <laughs> Remember that. He's writing from a prison cell. He's locked up. And it's there in the midst of that cold and dark and painful circumstance of the suffering and, and the loneliness. He tells us to <laughs> rejoice. <laughs> he tells us to rejoice. In the face of his sacrifice, Paul tells us to rejoice throughout the book of Philippians. Now, if you look at the opening verse there, Philippians chapter 1, you see verse 1 there. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, some translations say bondservant, and others may say slave. And that's really what it means. It means they have no assets. It means they they have no rights. Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. In other words, when when they became Christ followers, they relinquished their will and made it submissive to the will of God. And right there in in that very first line of of verse 1, Paul is hinting at sacrifice. He's hinting at that. So today, let me share with you uh, three attributes of sacrifice. Three attributes of sacrifice that will hopefully help, uh, help us realize what it means to sacrifice for the body of Christ. One of the attributes is uh, sacrifice is a partnership. Sacrifice is a partnership. It's always a partnership. If you look in verses 3 through 5, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, last week, we, we began this, this new series, and we talked about the church and the power that comes from the diverse collection of, of Christians who aren't perfect, but also see each one as uh, brothers and sisters. So the, the Apostle Paul here then says here in Philippians, we're partners in sharing the gospel all the way back to that first day. So you might wonder, what is, what is he referring to there? Well, the church of Philippi was the very first church that financially supported him. When other people wouldn't, they stepped up to the plate. They said, we want to help this guy. Paul needs our help financially to continue on. Let's do this. But this partnership goes beyond just an exchange of finances. There's a partnership here because 
God is part of this relationship. Even though Paul's the guy who's in jail, the one who's been shipwrecked, the one who's been through all this hardship, he says, we're partners in this. I'm suffering, you're suffering along with me, we're partners in this. I sacrifice, you sacrifice along with me, we're partners in this. Now it looks like he's doing more of the sacrifice and more of the, more of the suffering, but when we, when we come together as a body of Christ, we share in that. We partner in that, no matter what level that is. And so why does he say that, that they partner with him in that? There are a couple reasons. Let me share a couple reasons with you. One is they, they, really, they really are spiritual partners. Paul and, and uh, the church at Philippi, they're, they're spiritual partners. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. <laughs> in other words, he's saying, I pray on your behalf. And prayer builds partnerships. Uh, like I mentioned, we have our Thursday prayer group that meets at 10 o'clock. That group, you may not know who, who's there unless you're there with, um, on Thursday at, at, at 9 o'clock. They meet together, or 10 o'clock, excuse me. They meet together, <laughs> going, not 9 o'clock. They meet together and they pray for these requests. They pray for those who are going through difficult times. They pray for whatever has been brought to them. And they are partnering with those people. They're partnering with our church body to come together and support spiritually in that way. When you pray for missionaries, you're supporting them and partnering with them in that way. You're partnering with them as a spiritual partner and coming alongside them as you pray for those missionaries you support or other missionaries you hear of and you, you regularly pray for them. We connect. We connect with those we pray for. To get, it, to get those updates. You know, on Thursdays, we were praying for, uh, for people, and then we go, well, does anybody have an update? No, okay, we'll contact them and find out. And so that connects people. How are you doing? How are you doing with your situation? Just wanted to know. We've been praying for you, and they share, you share. There's a connection there. Prayer connects us in that way. We get updates on their situation, and we discover how to pray more accurately for them and develop that relationship. But it goes beyond just, beyond just the spiritual partnership with Paul and the church at Philippi. A second reason here that he says, you know, we're partners in this. The Philippians were also financial partners with Paul in his ministry, as I mentioned earlier. They did give. They gave. They gave for Paul. And why did they give? <clears throat> well, because they saw value in what took place outside of Philippi. They saw that this is a valuable thing, this is a valuable thing to share this other places that we can't, but Paul is, let's help him get this message out. They gave for Paul to be able to share the gospel in other places other than Philippi. They didn't think just of themselves and within their own walls. They thought about the people outside of it. Happy Valley here has been known as a missionary church, a missions-minded church. We've had many missionaries come through, <clears throat> have, have shared what they, the, the, the ministry that God has placed on their heart, going back to the field. And, and this body of Christ has supported missionaries in a lot of different ways. Now, it, it was mentioned in, in missions committee about do we, do, do we support this in our church budget? 
And you know what? We don't. But I think there's a valuable thing there as far as, you know, some churches do that. I think there's a valuable thing there, though, to allow the individual to support a missionary. Because each individual can choose to do that and then develop a relationship, not just have a church send a check and be good with it. Although they do need the financial support, definitely. But I believe the relationship that is developed between you and that missionary is so valuable. And so individually, we encourage people to support missionaries in that way. But we've had also two missionaries that we've, we've sent from our own. Uh, Kokendorfers, of course, Dave and Carol, pastors before me here. Jeremy Kokendorfer and his wife Barb as well. Uh, you can probably also claim Nathan Kokendorfer if you want as a missionary to Tremont, <laughs> Evangelical Church. But we also have had the Lloyds who are in France, members of the church here. We've had Chris Thiessen and the Dirk Hoops be with City Team, and they've moved on to other things, the Return Ministries now that uh, Annie is doing. We've had a lot of opportunities for people to come from this body of Christ to go into missions and serve in some way. And I think that's valuable. I think that's incredible for the size of church this is. Now, Paul isn't doing this in you know, financial partners and saying there's going to be some kind of get-rich scheme. Uh, there isn't going to be a get-rich-quick scheme here going on that if I give to Paul, then, then, then God's going to bless me with more money. That's not what it's talking about here. This isn't a divine give and take. What God is saying is, is that he promises to take care of our needs if we put him first. When we start to give generously and see generously as a, as a, a generosity as a heavenly investment, we start to realize that the money was never ours in the first place. <laughs> and it isn't. We're just stewards of what he's given us. All along, everything we have as a Christian belongs to the Lord, and he's going to take care of us as we are good stewards of what he's given us. Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Trust him. And notice Paul's wording, though it occurs a little bit later in this letter, is very important. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 19, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That is a verse we need to keep in mind a lot. God will meet all of your needs. It doesn't say he's going to meet all of your wants. <laughs> but he says, I will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. A testimony that I heard just this week from someone who shared with me. But Paul had learned to be content in any and every situation. But most of us aren't quite to that point just yet. We aren't content. We, we tend to lean toward self-indulgence rather than sacrifice. It's probably because we lean toward convenience rather than commitment. It's easier to go the one way than the other. A sacrifice is a partnership that can seem pretty expensive at times but it helps us move toward oneness and unity. The second attribute of sacrifice, let me share with you, is that sacrifice has a cost. 
sacrifice has a cost. And that's almost, it almost, that phrase almost falls into the category of Captain Obvious. Yes, it's going to cost me if I'm going to sacrifice. But you may recall in the Old Testament, when King David sinned against the Lord and became, uh, and, and because of that sin went on, God sent a plague on the people of Israel. David was devastated by that. You see, it was his fault. He's the one who sinned. And then the nation was taking on the consequences of that. And so he told God that he was the one who had made the mistake. Blame me, he said. He was the one who had sinned. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 17, he said to God, let your hand fall on me and my family. Don't do this to the people. I did this, so bring that upon me. The prophet Gad came to David, and he delivered this message from God. Basically said, he, he want, God wants you to go up and build an altar to him. Build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arowana, the Jebusite. So David went, and he told this man, Arowana, that he, he, he wanted to buy this threshing floor so he could offer the sacrifice. Now, this is really interesting here. It happens next, but because you have to remember... Who David is, he's king. <laughs> he's king. And not only is he the king, but he will also become the most revered king throughout all of Jewish history. But listen to what he says. He says, I want to buy this property from you so I can offer this big sacrifice. And then Arwana says, he answers in a way that you probably would think he would. He said, oh, your majesty, oh, king, you, you don't have to pay me anything. It's free of charge for you, oh, king. And then David replies, no, no. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, uh, gives an account of this. He said, no, uh, David's saying this, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He was willing to pay the, cost, the price. Sacrifice has a cost. What does the Christian life cost you? Has it cost you something? Does it cost you anything at all? When you choose to be a Christ follower, I hope you counted the cost. <laughs> I hope you considered that. It means saying goodbye to some old habits. It means saying goodbye to some old possessions. It means saying goodbye to maybe some addictive vices as well. Being a Christ follower needs to cost you something. It means getting rid of or setting aside anything that is not in line with following Jesus. And if you're bringing some baggage along from your previous life before you were a Christian, you got to consider that's just weighing you down. That's keeping you from moving forward like God wants you to. And you've got to let that baggage go. You've got you, you to cut it from you. Sacrifice those things. How many times have we sacrificed to the Lord our offerings that cost us nothing? I encourage you to find someone, a trusted friend, maybe a close relative, 
and ask them their observations about your generosity and sacrifice. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need a, 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 a checkpoint and say, ask someone, what do you think? And then you can insert whatever you want them <laughs> to observe. But ask them about your generosity and sacrifice. How have they seen that in you? And let them know that you're not looking for affirmation. <laughs> Don't try to boost me up. I want honesty. I want honesty. Try to figure out if you're on target and if you're growing in the area of sacrifice and generosity. We need people like that around us to keep us in line and help us continue on in God's word that way. If you're married, discuss this with your spouse, who I'm sure can be brutally honest with you as well. <laughs> but does your giving and serving represent true sacrifice? Does it cost you something? And maybe that's a question you both need to ask. Does our sacrifice cost us something? And parents, you know, talk to your kids about generosity as well. Those of you who are online, if you have kids with you there, you need, to, you need to have that discussion with them. More than just talking with them, model it for them. If you do that, they will be much, much more likely to follow in your footsteps. They see what mom and dad is doing. They go, hmm, I, they, they think it's all right. I think I should follow that as well, too. And in time, it will become natural and normal for them. And they won't hold on to things so tightly. It won't be all about what they get. Instead, they'll pick up on the fact that there are others we can help. And when they sacrifice, it will cost them, but it will be very rewarding in the end. Listen to the story as told by an adult child who was a recipient of very wise parenting. He says, my parents taught me a lot about money. I can remember being about six or seven years old. My dad was a preacher, and when he would go out of town to preach a revival or weekend worship, sometimes he would leave two stacks of coins on top of a shelf. He would have one stack for my brother and one stack for me. If we misbehaved, my mom would take the top coin off that stack. <laughs> Dad would determine the size of the coin stack by how long he was to be gone. And when, when he came back, we were given whatever money was left in our stack of coins. It was a pretty good deal, and my dad was as wise as a child psychology major. He'd put a dime, a nickel, a few pennies at the top of the stack. If you're thinking about doing something like hitting your brother, and there's a nickel up there, bam, you hit your brother. It was worth it. In your mind, you're thinking, it's just a nickel. And you know that for a dime, you'll go ahead and steal his Mr. Potato Head. But if there was a quarter up there, I'm telling you what, we were on lockdown. My smart father would put the quarter about six coins down. Sometimes I would hear him talking to mom on the phone when he'd call at night. He'd say, how's everything with the boys? And she'd say, oh, everything is fine. Then sometimes she'd explain why in a whisper, the quarter's at the top. <laughs> and sometimes we need to realize the quarter is at the top. We need to be ready. Do what God tells us to do. But if you give your child money to put in the offering, then great. That's, that's wonderful. 
That's a healthy habit you're developing in them. Let them, you know, how Paul that black box is at the back of the back of sanctuary for, <laughs> for little Ricky, but uh, being able to put that envelope in there, wonderful. That gives a little ownership going on. You're teaching them there's, there's value in giving and doing that. But there's also potential, too, for God's blessings. Don't rob your children of the joy of giving. The joy of giving and then receiving a blessing from God. And you know, We're not talking about the material stuff as far as I give a quarter, I'll give back 50 cents. <laughs> That's the prosperity gospel and we don't preach that here. The idea is that when we give, we feel an overwhelming sense of joy. That God affirms in our heart we've done the right thing and we get a blessing. We get a blessing. Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Back to chapter 1. Verses 12 through 14 tells us a little bit about some of the sacrifices that Paul went through. And remember, he's writing this from a prison cell. Verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare, and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul is not complaining that he's in prison. <laughs> he's thankful that he's there. This has given him the chance to advance the gospel. He's getting to share the gospel with people that he would never would have done otherwise. He's getting to talk to the palace guard about Jesus. The the chains aren't an obstacle for him. They're merely an opportunity. And I believe we need to identify what those chains are in our life and understand that they're not an obstacle. They're an opportunity to be able to share Christ with other people. I'm sure Paul loved his freedom, but you know what? I believe he loved Christ more. And I think that's the attitude we all need to have as well. You see, sometimes we like to be part of something that requires a minimal commitment. Isn't that right? I mean, we don't want to sometimes put out a lot of effort and we want to get a lot of return. But sometimes that doesn't take a lot of, something that, you know, not a lot of commitment, doesn't take a lot of time, doesn't hurt our checking account, doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. That's good. If we can, if we can do something like that, all the better. But that's not Sacrifice. (laughs) That's not sacrifice. Big sacrifices are the result of little sacrifices over a long period of time. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, that if you are faithful in the small things, he will put you in charge of many things. He says, "You, you, you be faithful with the small sacrifices, and I'll give you opportunities to make some big sacrifices. The bigger the sacrifice, the bigger the blessing as we walk according to God's will and travel a journey of faith. We need to be ready to enter into those sacrifices and not just the easy, easy ones. If I want to be the follower of Christ God wants me to be and the leader that that he has called me to be here at Happy Valley, I need to place a higher value on God's expectations 
than on man's opinions. I need to follow Christ and what he has for this church. And in these days of COVID restrictions, there's plenty of opinions out there on what to do and how to do it. I'm interested in what God expects of me as a husband, as, as, a, as a father, as a grandfather, <laughs> and as your pastor. There comes a point when, when you have a defining moment when you decide whether you want to be united with Christ rather than with the world. And it's a decision that we all are confronted with. Some of you remember Tom O'Brien. Tom O'Brien was a very unique person. He is a unique person. He and his wife Dawn live up in Goldendale. They, they were longtime members of the church here. And when they moved up to Goldendale, of course, they couldn't attend very much anymore, but uh, they still are connected. But Tom O'Brien, a definite follower of Jesus. <laughs> Those of you who've met him, you understand that. He's a guy, he's about my height, maybe a little shorter, a lot sl uh, slimmer, <laughs> but he's so powerful and mighty in God. He was part of a biker group called the Tribe of Judah. And they would ride around, this Christian biking group would ride around, try to go to the, the most defiled, horrible, awful biker places. And they would go and evangelize. They would go and check them out, and they'd, they'd be there. They wouldn't just come with a Bible and start thumping people. But they'd go there, and then they'd just be among the people. And, of course, they were ridiculed. They were, they were teased. They were even try, trying to be coerced in going back on their faith. And a lot of those bikers would do stuff to them that would try to get them to turn. Tom never did. He, he, would, he would go nose to nose and look him square in the face and let him know that Jesus loves him. <laughs> the type of guy that did not care what the world was saying to him but what mattered most for him was Jesus and what he wanted. He also was a guy who would start our church services. Some of you remember. Uh, when we started that, some of you were a little startled, but he also is ministry of the shofar. And the shofar is uh, the biblical, uh, like ram's horn, that, that sounds the victory call or sounds the bringing of God's people together. And he felt God leading him to do that. Now, this was something that was different. I had never heard it before, but I thought, you know what? Let's do it. And so at the beginning of service, uh, before it would start, he would go outside that door because it's a little loud inside here and just blast that shofar, letting people know we are starting service. It's time to come and join in. Now, there were some people who kind of snickered about that didn't quite understand what that was about. Some were kind of startled by that and said, what in the world is going on? Is, is, is Jesus returning? Um, but he didn't care. He knew what God wanted him to do. Even though there were some people snickering about it or whatever, he knew that God wanted him to do this, and he was determined this is, this is what God has for him. And so I said, all the more for you. <laughs> Let's do this. He also had a hot dog stand out here. I don't know, probably some of you remember that or not. Yowza hot dogs. <laughs> and he started that because why? He wanted to have another avenue to reach into people's lives. And so he, he would set up his stand. We'd allowed him to come over here in our parking lot, set up his little hot dog stand, and he would 
serve hot dogs to people, and he had an opportunity then to talk to them about Jesus. And that was his, his motive for doing things. The motive of being with the tribe of Judah, the motive of blowing the shofar, the motive of the hot dog stand, yowza hot dogs, to be able to share Christ with people. Because God was leading him to do that, and he was connected with God in such a way that he didn't care what the world said to him. How silly that would be. How is that going to work? He, he didn't make, I don't think he made much money at all on that hot dog stand, if any. But he was, he was wanting to be able to be an instrument of God, be used by him, be able to move forward with what God wanted him to do rather than what the world wanted him to do. Tom revealed his, his priorities to those around him, and he made it clear whose praise is most important to him. And it was God, the audience of one. And you know, that's who we need to perform for. <laughs> we need to realize that it's God before us, and we need to have the mindset that he's the audience that we serve, not the world, not the people. Now, shouldn't we be able to do the same among our family, be able to do the same among our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers? When you make it clear at school and at work and in your neighborhood that your relationship with Jesus is most important to you and it's, it's his approval you are looking for, you send a clear message. Now, some may ridicule you or reject you for it, but in time, they will come to respect you because of your convictions. Tom O'Brien and his time with Tribe of Judah, when they'd go to meetings and stuff like that and other gatherings that were huge, there would be bikers that would come up to him. And they would realize, hey, you're that, that Christian guy. Good, good for you. That's nothing that I want to do, but I respect you for it. They did. They did. You know, people may not, not come to you right away. They may reject you, of course. But they may just seek, out, seek you out when, when they're tired of trying to fit in with the crowd and grow exhausted from faking their happiness. They want to know where the true joy comes from. How do you do it? And that's when we have the opportunity to share with them. This is where it comes from. So sacrifice is a partnership. It's going, to take a, it's going to have a cost associated with it. And finally, sacrifice comes from love. Sacrifice comes from love. That's the foundation. That's really where it comes from. It all comes from love. It's an outward focus that takes the attention off of self and puts it on serving Christ and the needs of others. There have been many mission trips that this... Uh, this church has taken, the youth group has done. Some of you have participated in that as an adult chaperone. I've, uh, in youth ministry days at Labish Center, I, I, I took many mission trips with the youth down there. We would always go on down to, to uh, San Luis, the area there, and take a group and, and have wonderful moments and situations there. This church, Happy Valley, has taken uh, the youth to Tijuana, to East L.A., to Montana, New Mexico, a lot of different places even before I came here. And the thing is, is that missions trips change lives. Missions trips cause a change in someone's life, and they realize that there's something different going on, that God is working in me. I've had many groups, many youth come back in youth ministry and uh, express how that trip was 
was a determining factor of them growing with Christ or deciding to do something more, a step forward in ministry or whatever. Now, you all too here are a product of, of that as well too, uh, having the Kokendorfers head on down to Brazil. And they then decided they need to be missionaries there. Now, that was a sad day for this congregation as uh, their pastor was being moved by God in a different direction. But that happens sometimes. God gets a hold of a person's life, and boy, you just you can't tell them anything else. <laughs> they got to go that way. Their lives are changed. And I realize the COVID restrictions make it difficult to participate right now, but I hope that sometime in your life you will take a short-term mission trip. Sometime. Sometime in your life. Now, just, just ask those who have gone. Ask Maddie, Maddie Steele, who's gone on mission trip. Phyllis Oviet, who's gone on mission trips as well with her. Chris Thiessen has also, too, gone on mission trips as well. Rod and Kim Frentress have done their share of mission trips with the youth ministry as well. And, of course, Dave and Carol Kokendorfer. They will all tell you that it, 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 it changes them. And, it, and there's something else. It, it will mark your life. It will change you in ways that you could never anticipate. And it will make you more grateful for what you have. Whether it's locally or, or, or nationally or globally, you will develop a love for those individuals. The sacrifice of going on a missions trip and going to serve a, a people somewhere, you develop a love for those people. You realize, wow. I love, I, I love these people. I love them. And I want to serve them in God. And so that sacrifice then comes from this love for those people. But you will pray for them in months and years to come. I, I remember the first trip that we took down in youth ministry at Labish Center down in San Luis. We served a, a small little church, a pastor there. And... Uh, um, we only had eight people in our group, and I think one of us spoke Spanish, and that was it. <laughs> so it was really fun trying to figure things out. But to go on down there, we develop a great relationship with the pastor there. We build a roof on his, on his uh, house. We also fix the roof and build one on the church as well. And uh, it was just a wonderful time. And at the end of that week, that first time we went on down, not, I didn't know much about mission trips and what to expect. He pulled me aside one evening as we were uh, concluding our last night with them and all. And uh, he looked up in the sky and he pointed at a star. And a star was kind of like this orange type of tint to it. And he pointed up to there and he told me to remember and that he'd be praying for me. And I said, I will be praying for you as well. And the thing is, is that star, I see it nights and I still see it these, these days in the evening. And I'm reminded to be praying for that guy. Now, that was many, many years ago. I don't know where he's at as far as if he's still in ministry or whatever's going on, but I pray. Pray for him. Pray for his family. It's a connection. Connection that you can have. And a sacrifice out of love connects you to those people. For some of you, it may be impossible. <laughs> impossible to go on a trip like that. And I understand. And if that's the case, you can become a generous sender, a generous supporter to those who go and those who stay on the mission field full-time or long-term. And like I said, this church body has done that. Continue to do so. 
You can be part of that sacrifice and part of that, that commitment of love to those people. What would happen if you saw yourself as a channel or a, a vehicle or a conduit to be used by God to bless others, to advance the gospel? You can't do it on your own. You can't do it physically. You can't go on and take this trip, but you sure can help someone else who can. The investment in, in someone else's life could change lives. <laughs> That's kind of like parenting, isn't it? <laughs> Investing in our kids so that they change lives. Back to Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul is... Uh, telling the, the church there, he said, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, in those verses, Paul talks about how much he longs for heaven. And that's probably something we can say amen about. We also too. And he recounts some of the experiences he's gone through. He is, he's, he's been through it all. He has been shipwrecked, flogged, beaten, stoned. He's in a prison cell right now. And this is not his first rodeo. He's been there before in prison. He's been in prison many times for preaching the gospel. He longs for heaven. But he says this. He says, you know what? If this is how God chooses to advance his kingdom, then Lord, just give me courage. <laughs> give me the strength. Help me to be willing to make the sacrifice. And maybe that's the prayer we need to be making as well, too. Because like I said, sacrifice isn't popular. It isn't fun. But if God is calling you to do so, maybe that's the prayer we need to be praying. Give me courage. Help me to be willing to make the sacrifice. Jesus is pretty direct when he says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, and I mentioned this before as well, and maybe God is trying to get something to you all. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you want to be united with Christ, if the church is going to move forward and toward oneness, it will take sacrifice. This is not a walk in the park. And while God is not opposed to comfort and safety and, and protection, he's all about that. He also deeply values sacrifice and suffering. Jesus said, you will have tribulations. <laughs> Nearly all the New Testament is written to people who are suffering and people who are in the middle of sacrifice. Paul even said that to die would be gain because it meant he would go to be with Jesus. But in the meantime, he was willing to pour himself out as a drink offering. When the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding gets hold of you, life drastically changes. Sacrifice is not something you dread. It becomes something for which you live. It becomes something you accept because of the love you have for God and for others. Sacrifice means saying no to some things, and that's where it gets tough. Paul told us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So when you become a Christ follower, 
you are saying no to self and saying yes to him. Now, I have no idea what, uh, what it is that the Lord is laying on your heart right now as far as uh, what, he, what he wants you to sacrifice or the area of sacrifice or how that's going. But I can tell you what he sacrificed for you and why he did it. He gave his own life to make a way to heaven possible for you and for me. He did that. During those six hours of the crucifixion, the gospel records seven statements Jesus made on the cross. Most theologians agree that when Jesus was crucified, his last statement was, it is finished. And sometimes that's translated as, it is accomplished. That statement is made in three words in English, but it is one word in the original language, and that word is tetelestai, tetelestai. That means finished or accomplished. Do you know where people have found that word written in ancient documents of early civilizations? It's been discovered among business records. When a service had been completed or a product purchased, when the customer paid off their purchase or their debt, the merchant would write at the bottom of the page the word tetelestai. You see, it literally meant paid in full. And what Jesus is calling to our attention with his last words is that the debt has been paid. Our debt of sin has been paid. Paid in full. Now there is a way for man's sin to be forgiven and paid for once and for all, and Jesus provided it. Your sin debt has been, has been finished, has been accomplished, now, that's a partnership of love. That's a partnership of love and sacrifice that was quite costly. And with Christ's last breath, after experiencing the, the cruelest form of death known to man, he, 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 he said, to Tetelestai, so that Christian would never have to experience the overwhelming debt of their sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I hope you hear that today as well. What a promise. <laughs> what an example of sacrifice from Jesus. If you want to be united with Christ, if the church is going to, to move forward toward oneness, it will take sacrifice like that, a partnership that has a cost and comes from love. I'm going to have Annie come on up. She's going to be joined by Becky to sing this last song, lead us in this last song. As they come up, let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit touched upon something in your life during, during this message? Is God speaking to you in a certain way? And if so, and you need to respond, please respond in prayer with God in some way. Those of you here in person, the altar's for you if you want to pray. Come up and pray. Those who are online, you know, create your own altar there. And be in prayer with God if he's prompting you to do so. And as we sing this last song together, let it remind you that no matter what you go through, no matter how big the sacrifice that causes all this difficulty and pain, no matter what you go through, Jesus will be with you through it all. If you need to come pray, please do so.